Now, the most important thing that's changed since the past is that we've added particular steps in manufacturing that either remove viruses from the mainstream of the manufacturing or inactivate them, kill them, dissolve them in some fashion. So two ways of removing viruses or prions, the agent of that mad cow variant, um, are various types of chromatography. I'll explain what chromatography is in the next slide, um, but it's a chemical process. <clears throat> or nanofiltration, which simply is passage through a very, very ultra-small, tiny filter, a filter with very small holes, so small that it traps viruses. Or virus inactivation. And I mentioned heat treatment and solution, or pasteurization, as the first one that was used, but also terminal dry heat treatment. That means after the entire process is over and you have the vials of the lyophilized powder that you see when you get your product, then that's subjected to heat treatment at temperature of boiling water, 212 degrees, for hours. And that's a very effective means of killing any virus that might be left over. Um, you're all probably familiar with solvent detergent treatment because that's a very widely used process uh, developed at the New York Blood Center <clears throat> and very effective at killing, completely killing and destroying at very high amounts viruses that happen to have an envelope around them, a capsule around them that is soluble in um, oil lipid soluble. It's soluble in, it's made of fat. So it's soluble in organic solvents, okay? But some viruses aren't. So solvent detergent doesn't work for all viruses, works for most. Um, vapor heat treatment, one company uses, and that is again, uh, at the end of manufacturing, it's exposed to very high humidity and very high temperature. Um, Sodium thiocyanate is a chemical that, just from its name, you might think it has a relationship to cyanide, and it does, okay? It has a sulfur group on top of cyanide, and that would denature most proteins, but for factor nine, it doesn't denature it at all, and it's very effective at killing anything that happens to be present in uh, the the one product that uses sodium thiocyanate as a viral inactivation uh, uh, chemical. And then other ways are uh, ultraviolet waves, uh, acid pH treatment, and so forth. So there's a lot of chemical ways, a lot of physical ways of separating out and destroying viruses. Now a little more detail about each of these. I told you I'd tell you what chromatography was. Chromatography, and there's all kinds of there's paper chromatography, there's column chromatography. In most, mo all products now use column chromatography. That is a tube filled with a chemical that allows a liquid to drip through it, but the different components of that mixture that's in the liquid trickle through at different rates because they adhere to the chemical that's inside. The chemical that's inside could be a gel, um, it could be a powder, um, but it's a way of separating a fluid mixture into its various components. And it's very useful for concentrating 
factor VIII out of the whole mixture of all the proteins that are in plasma. At the same time, it also separates out viruses. Okay, because they would trickle through at a different rate. So the components of the mixture flow through at different rates, and then you can know that you only want certain parts of what comes through and not other parts. So that's what chromatography is, the way it's used in manufacturing clotting factors. Nanofiltration, the filtration through tiny little pores, uh, removes viruses by size exclusion. And it can be down to pores in the filter of 20 microns. Now a micron is one millionth of a meter. Meter is about that long. One millionth of that distance is the size of these pores. Very small. And it, most viruses are removed, but again, there are a few viruses that are smaller than 20 microns. So it doesn't, again, work completely for all viruses, but it certainly helps for many. <clears throat> the advantage of nanofiltration is that there are no harsh chemicals to denature the factor that you want to preserve. And so more get a higher yield, you get more of it that comes through unaffected. Now, the nanofiltration is very effective for parvovirus and others that don't have a lipid coat that solvent detergent wouldn't work on, but they have a protein coat around them. Um, and it's very effective for HIV, which happens to be a very large virus as viruses go. Um, and so the, the nanofiltration of 20 micron pores is extremely effective at excluding HIV. And many, many companies now use nanofiltration. Um, here's some of the products that are, use nanofiltration uh, listed at the bottom. Um, if you don't know, if the products are not familiar to you, I can, uh, I can ex tell you what they are. For inactivating viruses, as opposed to removing them from the manufacturing, we talked about heat, heat treatment in solution or pasteurization, and there's a couple products that use that. Terminal dry heat treatment is very effective for hepatitis A, for parvovirus, and for hepatitis C. Um, and again, I said 100 degrees centigrade or 212 degrees Fahrenheit for two hours, and Willate uses that pro uh, process. Um, Coate and alphanate use 80 degrees at 72 hours. That's three days, 72 hours, for a long period of time. Terminal dry heat. Solvent detergent treatment dissolves the viruses that have the lipid coat, and it's very effective for hepatitis B, hepatitis C, HIV, and I've listed some, but not all of the products that use solvent detergent as one of the processes for making it virally safe. Now, you might notice that on a couple of these processes that I have listed, there are recombinant processes, uh, recombinant products that are listed. Uh, Zintha is listed here, for example. Cogenate FS is listed here. These are recombinant products. And you might ask, why would you need to use viral inactivation methods for recombinant products? Recombinant products are made in tissue culture. Well, the reason is that despite all of our quality control and all of our ways of sterilizing and making sure everything is done properly, 
it is possible for tissue cultures to become infected with viruses. And so just in case, the manufacturers of recombinant products also add viral inactivation steps in their manufacturing. They all do. Again, we don't want to make any mistakes. We don't want to have anything happen unexpectedly. So we have these belt and suspenders methods. <coughs> Other methods of vapor, vapor heat treatment is used for fiber, sodium thiocyanate for mononine, Acid pH treatment is mostly used for gamma globulin products, not so much for clotting factors. And ultraviolet wave treatment um, is used um, uh, more experimentally. I don't think there's any products that are marketed right now that use it, but it does work very well. Now, validation of the virus removal. We have to do tests to prove that our process would remove viruses if there were any viruses there. If somehow, despite all of our screening of the donors and our testing that we did, if any viruses got into the pool, we have to show that our manufacturing process with these steps would remove them. So what we do is we, we take at a lab scale the manufacturing steps that are used, not at a full scale with 10,000 liters, but at a laboratory tabletop scale, under the same conditions of pH and temperature and so forth, and we add viruses on purpose to the solution. Run it through that step and then measure how much virus gets through. And we have to show that we can remove all or most of the virus that we've added. And we measure them in logs of virus removed. Now let me explain, if those of you who don't remember your, your calculus, and your upper order math, um, a logarithm is a power of 10. So a log of 2 is 10 times 10, is 100. Um, since it's a log of base 10, the best way to think of it is the number of zeros that follow the 1. So for example, log 6 would be a million because it has 6 zeros after it. So that's a log of 6. Okay, so we measure by adding hundreds of thousands or millions of viral particles, running it through each step of the process and showing how much each step will remove. If, if by some chance a virus happened to get into the pool, we don't think it would be in the millions, but we want to show that our processes would remove it even if it were that many viruses. Uh, manufacturers can use different vi model viruses, that is, not the exact virus that would cause the disease, but a virus very similar to it that's easier to work with in the lab and isn't going to hurt the lab workers if they happen to get it. Um, we do, well, you'll see in a second. There's no absolute target set for how much virus has to remove, be removed by each step along the way, but the FDA wants to see in your whole manufacturing all the steps how much can you remove of all the different viruses that you've tested? Uh, prion removal tests are also being developed and every manufacturer is now running prions, adding prions on purpose to their processes and showing which steps will remove prions to show just in case there is ever prions that show up in the plasma source that we can remove them as well. So, what I have here 
is um, a slide that shows for the various um, viruses that are concerned to us, HIV, hepatitis C, um, hepatitis A, and so forth, we use these viruses in the, in the white. We actually use HIV-1 to show that we can remove HIV-1. For parvovirus, B19, we use porcine parvovirus, the parvovirus that affects pigs. Again, it's easier to work with in the human parvovirus. And for coate, I've listed here the global reduction factor. That means how many powers of 10 viruses can be removed by the manufacturing of coate of these various models, model viruses or actual viruses for in the case of HIV are removed. And you can see that 10 to the 10th power, that means one followed by 10 tens, that's 10 billion viral particles could be removed by um, the process that makes coate, for example. Then the quality control of the entire manufacturing process. All reusable equipment in the manufacturing and all the material is sanitized. It's completely cleaned out um, to make sure that the, if there's a one lot that's contaminated, nothing remains in any of the equipment that's going to contaminate the next lot. And they use very harsh chemicals and sodium hydroxide to wash through all the material that's used. All the beakers, all the columns, all the tubing that's used in the manufacturing. And quality control measures are in effect at every stage. We make sure that every stage is done for every lot exactly the way it's supposed to be done. Um, then in the process along the way of manufacturing, we stop and check and make sure that they were, the step was done before we take it to the next step. We don't wait till the end. As it's in process, we're doing these testings. <clears throat> we make sure, for example, the freeze drying of the, of the final product in the vial, that it's, we check the temperature cycle, we check the amount of time it was at that temperature, and we check every place in the lyophilizer, in the equipment that heats and dries the stuff, that every corner of that reached the right temperature for the right amount of time. And then the final product undergoes release testing. Does it have the right pH? Does it have the right amount of sodium? Does it have the right amount of clotting factor? And so forth. And if any of those don't make it, it's discarded. It's not used. Then somebody comes and checks the quality control to make sure the quality control did their testing correctly. So we have checks upon checks. Then once a product is released, every adverse event that's reported to the company has to be evaluated, and that's called post-marketing monitoring. And we, I get every report that comes in on coate, I get to see um, every side effect that gets reported to us, and we encourage people in the package insert, and every time we talk, if you have a, a side effect or something unexpected that, that occurs, please report it to the company so we can look at it. We'd rather find out sooner than later if there's a problem. And that's the, the last bullet here says, the frequency and types of adverse events are monitored to recognize any signal of a product-related problem early. 
So if uh, all of a sudden we have four or five patients that report the same adverse event, the same unexpected thing, we would be concerned that it's not what we're used to, and we would probably have a recall of that lot until we could find out what the problem was. Um, I think you've all, you all know what a recall is. I think you all know what, uh, you've probably been through that. Um, we try to minimize that ever occurring. But again, the patient's adverse event can be traced. As soon as we know the lot number, we can trace it back. So just to recapitulate, just to repeat, these are the seven steps that I've gone through and explained to you what's different today than was the case back in the late 80s, early 90s, and certainly before mid-80s. These are the things that we do today to ensure that you get the safest possible products that are derived from plasma. And this is sort of a, a, a diagram that symbolically says um, this is safety from getting a virus is low at the start of this whole process. But each step along the way, donor screening, donation testing, um, uh, plasma inventory, hold, manufacturing, pool testing, um, the various steps in manufacturing, each time there's a step added, it increases the safety of the final product. Um, this is graphical representation. And I will tell you that of all these steps, the one that makes the biggest difference in the amount of safety that's added to the process is the viral inactivation steps, the solvent detergent, the heat treating, the, the nanofiltration. All those things make up the vast majority of what makes these products safe today. And uh, as you know, all plasma products carry this warning. It's made from plasma and we can never reduce the risk to absolute zero because just as we learned in the mid 80s, something new that we've never seen before could suddenly appear. And we've put in place all these steps to try to eliminate that. But again, it's uh, the, the term that's used in mathematics is asymptotic. That means um, if this is a graph, you can come down, and this is, the, this is the absolute zero. Your safety can come down toward and never quite reach zero. You can get closer and closer and never quite reach it. And that's the way the FDA looks at it, and that's the way we think about it. We can get about as close to zero risk as we can, but we just don't know what else might be out there, so we can't say that it's absolute. And so these are the warnings that are on all plasma products today. <coughs> um, and I hope I've gotten across to you that it doesn't happen by accident, that a lot of thought has gone into this, a lot of research 